Everybody doing good? Glad you're here. Glad to see your smiling faces. Glad to be in your presence. Uh, for those that are listening online, welcome. We are in week three on this series, Social Faith, Navigating Faith and Friendships. And we're talking about some of the pitfalls that can come from our relationships and how we deal with people. This isn't just the online stuff, even though we're talking about online, it becomes some of the offline too. Because what I've noticed over the years is that all social media has really done was provide a cover for people to live out their behavior anyways. The way that they would naturally want to operate well, they actually do online. Now, in public, you typically wouldn't make snide comments with people because if you do, there's a good chance you're getting punched. <laughs> and so you just don't do that. But all of a sudden, we got these keyboard warriors that want to sit there and make some comments left and right. And unfortunately, it's not just for the world. It's inside the body of Christ, too, where they make all sorts of interesting names that they come up with for people. Like the most creative insults that I have ever received have come from Christians. And I mean, I'm kind of entertained by it because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, wow, our creator has created these people to be so creative. They came up with a name for me that I had never heard of before and that I had never thought of. And yet, they're doing it from text or computer. Because if they said it here, my response may be different than what they got. Because they typically didn't get anything. Then we find ourselves in this current, do we still call it a pandemic? I think that's what the, the technical term for it is. The current crisis, the outbreak of COVID-19, and I, I tend to be a little bit of a nerd where I like to just do research and study things because I can and I, I want to be as knowledgeable as I can and that way if people are like, oh, you're wrong, well, if I like study and I do the research, I'll be like, ah, no, I just got the information from the experts, so they're wrong. They told me to trust what they said and, well, they did the research and they did the study. Like Thursday, a study came out from Boston University. And Boston University, in this study that they did, said over half of the U.S. adults surveyed reported at least some signs of depression, such as hopelessness, a feeling of failing, uh, little pressure, or getting a little pressure from doing things. It's just this, this feeling of depression in over half of U.S. adults. Half of U.S. adults are showing signs and symptoms of depression. Half. And this research they have done, that they are doing, is regarding the current COVID outbreak. So they're asking, since this started, have you experienced this? Have you experienced that? which they also noted that they did this same type of research two years ago just without the COVID-19 attachment to it. And two years ago, it was less than that. Actually, it was under 25%. So 
So that number has doubled in two years. People are feeling depressed. And one of the big issues that we're facing, and one of the reasons that there is so much depression that is coming out there, is because with this outbreak and with this pandemic, people are isolated. And isolation is breeding ground for depression. You feel disconnected. And yet God did not create us to be disconnected. He created us to be connected. God created us to have community. He created us to commune with him and with each other. That's how he created it. I mean, God flat out told us in the Bible, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we typically think about that in a husband-wife scenario. I typically make jokes about that when there's, you know, like, a guy that has been married multiple times. And I'm like, well, he's just a very biblical man because he realized it's not good for man to be alone. And he keeps trying to find some companionship. But I'm thinking about this and it's more than just man and woman. It's all of us. It is not good for us to be alone. It is not good for us to be isolated. This is not a good thing. We need connection and we need real connection. And, And I'm so appreciative of the modern technology that we have. I am so appreciative that I can be at home and pull up a tablet and it's got this this little camera on it. And by using that camera, I can actually talk, video chat with somebody halfway across the world in real time. Okay, maybe like a five second delay, but in pretty real time. And I'm so appreciative of that, especially with this pandemic, with everything that happened, to be able to stay connected. When we were not having church, it was nice to be able to still communicate with you guys, to be able to talk with you, whether it be through a text message or whether it be uploading video and at least conveying some stuff for you. But yet there was still something missing. There there was the, the real world connection. There was the physical connection that God created us. He didn't create us as digital beings. He created us as physical beings. And this is coming from someone who is very immersed in the digital world. I'm very immersed in that world. I know it very well. And yet that is not and can never be a replacement for physical connection and authentic connection. It it just can't. I mean, you think about this and what we're doing is we're looking on a screen and we're trying to have a real relationship with a two-dimensional being. I mean, how many of the jokes have you heard or seen about people that were, you know, going back to work and they're doing digital work and they've got their suit and tie from the, the waist up, but underneath they're sitting in their pajamas or their boxers. Okay, I think I actually did that on one of the Sunday sermons. <laughs> and, and it's kind of this joke, but... That's the thing. You would never show up at an office meeting in your pajamas. You would never show up in a suit and a tie and a jacket and just sitting there in your boxers, walking around in flip-flops. You wouldn't do that. If you didn't get fired right away, you might also get arrested for indecent exposure. But this is the thing. It's like a two-dimensional and all you see is this much. You don't know what's going on beneath the surface. But in real life, I can see you. I know what's going on. I was watching this television show the other day, and there's this this guy and a girl, and they're out on a date. 
And she had been like keeping some secrets from him and it wasn't anything bad, but it was just some secrets from her sister, didn't want her to tell. And she's wrestling with this because, well, this is my boyfriend and I really want to tell him these things. And I'm supposed to be in two places at once. And so she's running back and forth between like the restaurant and this other place. And she gets back and they're sitting at the restaurant across from each other and everything looks fine until the camera zooms away from the boyfriend's face and down on the glass on the table and you just see it shaking. And it's like, why is the glass shaking? You see in a two-dimensional screen, it's hard to understand why. So then the camera helps out and it pans underneath the table and there's the girlfriend's leg just bouncing up and down. She is so nervous, so much anxiety. Her leg is shaking, but above that table, everything looked fine. Beneath the table, it wasn't. And see, in this time that we're living in, there is half of the Americans that are experiencing symptoms of depression. They are not okay. And yet we're seeing their faces online and they look okay because they're putting out this facade. They're putting out an image that they want to convey of everything is okay. And, and trust me, I get that. And it's good to try to encourage yourself and build yourself up and, and to call those things that be not as though they are to try to say, I'm good, to seek after the good things. And that's not necessarily lying if there is some good in there. Because it's not saying, well, I'm not doing bad, but it's saying I am doing good. But yet, they're hurting, they're depressed, they're lonely, they're isolated, and we can't see it because we're not connecting. The Bible's got some pretty strong and pretty clear things of what we should be thinking and what we should be seeing, what we should be believing when it comes to connection. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 24 or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And this is one that I've, I've preached many times, but I'm hoping that today you'll see something new in it. I'm not just hoping it, I'm believing that you're going to see something new in here. Hebrews 10, verse 24 is what we're looking at. Because this passage here, these couple verses, verse 24 and 25, they deal directly with community. They deal directly with our connection. They deal directly with us assembling together. If I'm reading this out of the New King James Version, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Okay, so we're going to consider each other so that we would do some good. Actually do good. Not just talk about the good, but actually do the good. Verse 25, it says, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Don't forsake gathering together, but rather we should be exhorting, exhorting to try to encourage one another so much more. So here's the thing. When we're coming together, it should be for the sake of encouraging one another. And it should be encouraging one another so that we're stirring up love and good works. And we should be doing this so much more 
as we see the day approaching. And if you notice, that's a, a capital D. It's talking about a specific day. It's not talking about the day as in Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No, it's talking about the day, the day when Jesus returns. The day of his reappearing, the day of his second coming, when he comes back to set everything right. We should be looking forward to that day. And as we see that day approaching, and if you don't see that day approaching right now, you're not looking. Because Jesus gave us plenty of signs. He didn't tell us when the specific day was going to happen. Why did he not tell us the specific day? Because we're lazy. <laughs> Human beings are just lazy. If you don't realize this, you've never had children and you've never told them to go do something because they initially default, well, as long as I do it sometime. And then don't ever tell a child, when I get back, I expect this to be done. Because you know what they're going to do? They're going to wait until they hear your car pull in the drive and rush to try to finish it. That one was just for those in attendance. If you weren't in attendance and you weren't assembling with us today and you're listening online, you missed what just happened. <laughs> no encouragement. No, I'm joking. But see, you, you do this with human beings. We all, we procrastinate. We put things off. We wait. And even those that say, oh, I don't procrastinate, we do procrastinate. I've seen some of the, the, the most organized people that they've got everything down to a science and yet they'll be in their 40s 50s and 60s and wondering why they never tried that one thing that they've always wanted to try because you're procrastinating and you're putting it off you see we do that and, and Jesus he's like no I'm not going to tell you when the day is no man is going to know when the day is nor the hour but if you want to know what some of the signs are, oh, we got a bunch of those. And if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear, you know the signs of his return are plentiful. <laughs> They're all around us. And yes, I know that Christians have been saying that for 2,000 years, but you know what? If you study church history, you see that every year there are more signs, which means the day is approaching even faster. And as the day approaches, we should be exhorting one another more. We should be assembling together more. And then we have COVID-19 outbreak, and all of a sudden it shuts down our assembly. It shuts down the gathering together. And then it not only shuts it down, but then when it starts to open back up, we keep it shut down. And we don't come back. And we wait and we put it off because, well, we've learned how to do it on our own. You know, there's a book, a cartoon that had somebody that thought that they had it all on their own and that was the best way. I got a little video clip here for you to, to watch of this. From the edge of his ledge way up in the sky, the Grinch felt upset, though he wasn't sure why. It could have been Christmas, all that joy and the such, or some thoughts from his past that he just couldn't quite touch. But whatever it was, it made his heart moan. Though he was used to it now, 
this being alone. And now safe in his cave, and apart from the fray, he reminded himself. It is better this way. So the Grinch decided that he was good. It's better if I'm just alone. If you've read the book, if you've seen the movie, if you've watched the show, you know the reason that he wanted to be alone is because he didn't want to be hurt anymore. He didn't want people to make fun of him. He didn't want people to mistreat him. And unfortunately, the sad commentary on a lot of people not returning to church after the pandemic outbreak is because churches have hurt people. It's because churches have not done what Paul, or whoever the author of Hebrews is, we haven't done what he actually instructed, to assemble together and exhort one another, to encourage one another. Instead, we haven't been encouraging, we've been discouraging. Instead of building one another up, we've been tearing one another down. Instead of trying to stir up good love and good works, <laughs> We've been stirring up tension, selfishness, discord. We haven't been doing what God has instructed us. And because of that, we get people that it's better if I'm just isolated. It's better if I don't go out. And unfortunately, part of that is the church's fault. But part of it's also the individual's fault. Because sometimes part of the exhorting and part of the encouraging, part of the stirring up love and stirring up good works is to point out when there are bad works and when there is hate. And if we see one of our brothers or sisters in a sin, in a trespass, we're supposed to go to them and restore them. And unfortunately, in oftentimes in churches, we go to a brother or sister and we say, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And they get offended by it. They, they don't receive that as a loving correction, whether that's because our delivery was wrong or their reception was wrong. But they don't receive it the way that God has intended it. And maybe we didn't deliver it the way that God intended it. And they don't want that correction anymore. They don't want somebody to rebuke them. They don't want somebody to point out that what they are doing and what they have done is wrong. And so it's a whole lot easier if I just don't go around that person. It's a whole lot easier if I just stay at home. Because then I can do relationships on my terms. If that person wants to call me, I don't have to answer the phone. If they send me a text, I don't have to reply. If they send me a Facebook message, I don't even have to open that thing. And you know what? I don't even have to friend them. I can unfriend them. I can block them. You see, we start to do things on our own terms, in our own way. And unfortunately, this is actually a bad, bad thing. Proverbs 18.1 says that a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wisdom. <laughs> Pull that up, Nancy. Proverbs 18.1. I didn't even give that to her ahead of time. That's how amazing that is. No, Proverbs 18.1. Look at this one. 18.1 out of the New King James. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. A man who isolates himself. 
a woman who isolates herself, a child who isolates themselves, a person who isolates themselves, seeks their own desire. They rage against all wisdom, all wise judgment. If you didn't know, Proverbs is the book of wisdom. It talks a lot about those who are wise and those who are unwise. And if you can't see the simplicity of isolating yourself means you're a fool because you're raging against wisdom. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a fool. I, and, if, and if isolation is foolish behavior, if isolation means that I'm raging against wisdom, well, what's the opposite of isolation? Connection. Assembly. Gathering together. Not forsaking it. Hebrews 10.24, out of the New Living, it says this. Let us think of ways to motivate one another. Oh man, wouldn't it be good if we could motivate one another? Motivate one another to love and good works. Actually, we got a different translation. I'm going to read that one. That's a different version of the New Living. Let us think of ways to encourage one another to outburst of love and good deeds. And then verse 25, let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Matthew Henry in his commentary on Hebrews says that even in those times there were some who forsook these assemblies, the communion of the saints is a great help and privilege, a good means of steadiness and perseverance to exhort one another, to watch over one another, and be jealous of ourselves and one another with a godly jealousy. This would be the best friendship. You see, in the world of Facebook, the average Facebook user has 338 friends. But the average American says that they have two close friends and 25% of those people who have been surveyed say they don't have a close friend at all. And yet the Bible is telling us that if we will assemble together, if we will encourage one another and warn each other of those things, if we will do that and if we will motivate one another for outbursts of love and good works, if we will do that, that is the best source of friendship we're ever going to find. And think about that. Think about the closest friends that you have ever had in this world. If you're acting up, do they not call you out on that? Do they not say, what's up? What are you doing wrong? Stop it. This isn't like you. What's gotten into you? Your best friends will do that. And if you think of the best friend that we will ever have, Jesus Christ, does he not do the same thing to us when we act up? He calls us fools when we act foolish. He says that we are faint of heart when we are. 
He rebukes us. He corrects us. He scolds us. And yet he loves us and he embraces us and he accepts us and he supports us. And he encourages us like no one else can. He encouraged the apostles like nobody else could. Oh, you think you can fish? I'm going to make you fish for men. Follow me. Watch what you'll be able to do. I mean, if that's not motivation, encouragement, I don't know what is. And yet that same ability that Jesus had is living inside us because he is inside us. And if we would act like him and do like him, when we come together, as we see his day approaching, we would be stirring up one another. We would be stirring up one another. This real connection. You see, we got to, Really, we've got to dial back on some of the fake relationships that we've got and dial back on the isolation. I'm not saying that you never go and be alone. Jesus himself did that. There is a time for solitude. There is a time when the best way for you to commune with God is to not commune with others. And you do need that one-on-one time with the Father. Jesus did it himself. But if you've read the life of Jesus, those were small, short, referred to times in times of need. But the majority of Jesus' communion was with others, not just with the Father. Although I guess the argument could be made that he was in daily communion with the Father. And even in communing with one another, we are communing with the Father. Let me give you some, some practical tips here. Because it's one thing if I say, okay, we need to kind of dial this back a little bit when it comes to the fake relationships and when it comes to the isolation. And we need to be engaged more and interacting and we need to gather together more. We need to assemble more because the day is approaching and, and it says more, more, more. And, and we got to stir each other up. we got to motivate each other. There needs to be love. There needs to be good works. There needs to be an, an exhortation. So the encouragement and yes, even the warnings that sometimes go with that, we have to do all of that. Okay, but how? (laughs) Well, here's maybe just a simple little tip. Get face-to-face with people. Yes, I understand there's a pandemic and the world is telling us stay six feet apart. Well, I would rather you be six feet apart than 60 feet apart. Because at least if we're six feet apart, you know what? I can see what's going on beneath the surface. There's not a table there that's shaken where I can't see the anxiety beneath. So we have to be present. We have to be face-to-face, not thumb-to-thumbs. I mean, could you imagine like a, a relationship, a marriage relationship? Could you possibly have an effective marriage relationship if it was only digital? If all you ever did was text, if all it ever was was thumb-to-thumb? No! You cannot have marriage as designed by God from thumb to thumb. Quite frankly, it needs to be more like belly button to belly button. I thought I would get more jokes with that one. (laughs) Apparently it was over some heads. (laughs) But we need this connection. We need connection. 
Let me show you this one. Romans 12, 9 through 13 out of the New Living. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy in your work, but serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice or be glad for all God is planning for you. Be patient in trouble and always be prayerful. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging, for the night. A newer translation of that says, always be eager to practice hospitality. When they're in need, be ready to help them. How do you know if they're in need if you're not actually with them? You see, I don't know how many times that I, I've had people that I've called up on the phone. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing good. I see them two days later and all of a sudden it's like they got a limp or they're kind of walking over in the back. And I'll be like, I just talked to you a couple days ago and you said you were good. What's up with your back? Oh, this thing? Yeah, I've had that for a couple weeks. Hello? You didn't think it might have been a, a good thing when I said, how's it going? How are you doing? Are you okay? I mean, aside from my back that's bothering me. Why? Because I could have prayed with you. And here's the thing. We need to get better about praying with people, not for people. We sit there and, oh, I'll pray for you. And then we leave and we don't actually pray. Or maybe you actually did when you got home and you got dinner. and you did. No, if somebody says, hey, I could use some, pray, some prayer. I, I don't know, pray with them. Like right then and right there. Pray with them and, and meet them where they're at. I have people that they will text me and I really need prayer. If they met me on a text, I'm going to respond on a text. If they call me up and, hey, would you pray for me? No, I'll pray with you. How about we pray right now? And then we're going to pray. And then when I'm meeting people and we're gathered together, do you notice that like every week it's like, hey, anybody got any prayer requests? And have you ever heard me say, okay, now that I've got all your prayer requests, you can leave and I'm going to go off into my own little prayer closet and then I'm going to pray for them. No, I'm like, all right, let's pray. And then we pray. I'm praying with you for what you need. You see, we've, we've got to get better at this. See, it's, it's acceptable form of communication to text. It's a better form of communication to call. The best form of communication is to be with them. If that means you got to drive or, I don't know, hop on a train, pull out a skateboard, take the two little things that God gave you at the bottom of your body and start putting one in front of the other and walk to them, that is the best way to connect. See, there is power in our presence, and that's why we need to practice being present more. Think about it, if, if one, somebody you love, if they had a death in the family, if you are with them and you say nothing, you know how much that means to them. You know how much. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that, just to know that somebody drove, 
that they came over to just be there for me? To be there with me? And they didn't even say anything. I'm telling you, I was like, I, I go to these funerals and people don't remember what it is I actually say. I know this because I usually don't say anything unless I'm actually officiating a service. Like, literally, I don't ever say anything because I don't know what to say. So I just go over and I just stand there and they start talking and I'm just nodding. And then they see somebody else and they, they turn and leave and then two, three days later they send me a message and thank you so much for being there. I can't tell you how much it meant to me. Now imagine if I tried to do that by a text message. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> they had a death in the family, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be there across the text message. Or a phone call where I don't say anything. Dial them up. <laughs> That's not going to work. There is power in just being present. And that is why God himself is omnipresent. He's always there with us. So we not only need to be present, we need to be engaged. And I'll end with this one. 1 Peter 4.8, out of the message, it says, Most of all, love one another as if your life depended on it. Because love makes up for practically anything. Love one another as if your life depended on it. <laughs> Our lives depend on it. Our lives depend on it. Over half of the Americans that have been surveyed in the last few months are showing signs of depression. Depression left unchecked and untreated will lead to death. It is not God's will that any perish, but all would have life. And if depression happens in the breeding ground of isolation, we need to stop being isolated and we need to start getting connected. This is not just being engaged. It's not just even being physical. It's being emotionally present. It's being fully engaged with people. Love one another with everything that we have. Love one another. I mean, see, at the, the end of our life, is it really going to matter how many likes or views we got on our social media posts? Is it really going to matter how many contacts or friends we have in our Rolodex? You know what's really going to matter? At the end of our life, the love that we showed and were shown. That's what's going to matter. 1 John 3.18 says, My dear little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We have to love one another. And to truly love one another, that means we have to be connected. We have to be present. We have to be engaged. So let's do that. Let's consider one another, as Hebrews says. Consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but yet so much more, exhorting one another so much more as we see that day approaching.
Be present. Be engaged. And love one another. Let's pray.